Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. We're in the middle of a series called Cancel Culture. And I realized, and it was actually last week when I was working, oh, that could be a little bit, that could be a little bit loaded. Somebody get all been out of shape. And so typically it means if I disagree with you, you're canceled. Like we're going to cancel your tour. We're going to cancel your social media, whatever. Like, let me be clear. That is not what we're after here. That is, that is not us. All right. We're just using this term as canceling some things out of our lives, getting some things out of our closet to make space for some healthy behavior in our life. We want to create some space for healthy things to grow. And I'm going to ask you to just follow with me for a little bit today, okay? I'm going to use this moment to set context, and it's going to take me just a little bit. Here's the problem. It's going to feel a little bit like a history lecture, and I, I, that's not what I want, but I, I, I want you to see one of the most, probably most popular characters of Scripture, and just follow the history of their life, and, and what, what I really want is I want you to see your life relate to their life, okay? So... If you've got your Bible, I'm going to be all over the place. And this is a challenge for me. Typically, I like to go to a passage, and I like to let that one passage, but, but this is probably more, hey, let's pick a topic and, and let Scripture talk to us that way. So just, just kind of chill with me for a little bit. We'll, we'll eventually land in some Scripture. Acts 1, you don't need to turn there. I'm just kind of setting context. Acts chapter 1, which is actually the, the title is Acts of the Apostles, or it's the Acts of the early church getting started. In Acts chapter 1, it begins with Jesus ascending into heaven. He had done ministry. He had been arrested. He'd been on trial. He'd been crucified. He was buried, and he was resurrected. And after he was resurrected, he appeared to many of his followers, and now it was time for him to leave. Mark, Luke, John, they tell of his ascension up into heaven and the book of Acts includes it as well. So Acts chapter 1 begins with Jesus ascended into heaven. Before he leaves, he kind of gives them this great commission of like, hey, go, go reach the nation. Now, if you'll recall, when Jesus was arrested, one of his 12 companions, we call them the 12 disciples, but one of them actually betrayed Jesus, actually sold Jesus. He would give the location of where Jesus was at, guy by the name of Judas. In that process, Judas would eventually kill himself. And so now, instead of there being 12 disciples, there's only 11 disciples, and they need to replace Judas. So the second half of Acts chapter 1 is where the disciples actually pick Judas's replacement, okay? And, and there were just a couple of young men that actually met the criteria of who would qualify to be one of the 12 disciples. Disciples. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 1. Here's just a couple of verses. It says, Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men, and they give some criteria of what they were looking for, one of the guys that's been with Jesus the whole time, and he was even living among us. Like he was a follower. He was around daily. He just wasn't one of the original 12. Beginning from John's baptism. So he had been with Jesus and Jesus' 12 disciples all the way until when Jesus was taken up. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Bersabbas, or Bersabbas, however you want to go with that, right? He was also known as Justice. And then there was Matthias. 
Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart, so which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs? And then they went, paper, scissors, rock, right? Now they cast lots, okay, and then the lot fell to Matthias. And so he now becomes one of the 12. And then here they stop calling them disciples, but they start calling them apostles. And I'll talk a little bit today about what apostle means. So now we're back to the number 12 again, which by the way, in biblical terms, the number 12 represents government. It represents government rule. Like in Israel, there were 12 tribes of Israel. The nation of Israel was broken up into 12 governmental tribes. In the New Testament, there would be 12 apostles that kind of oversaw the work and the expansion of the church. And Matthias was the one that he picked scissors. The other guy picked paper. That's how it worked out, right? Okay, and here's the kicker. We don't ever hear from Matthias again. He's not mentioned again in the Bible. Now, if you do some digging into church history, there's, you know, kind of legend says he went to a place called Cappadocia, and it, it's kind of a mountainous range in central Turkey. Later there, he would go on and around the Caspian Sea, and the story goes that he was crucified. He was martyred by crucifixion. Okay, Acts chapter 1, they replace the missing 12th disciple now called apostle. Six chapters later, in Acts chapter 7, one of the first deacons, like the leaders of the church realized they couldn't do it all, so now they picked some guys to be deacons and just serve. And one of those guys by the name of Stephen, he was now being stoned. And it's not the kind, you know, where you have the medical cards. It's not, it's not that, it, it, never mind, all right? It means that he was being killed with rocks. They were so angry, they were literally throwing rocks at him, and he died by people throwing rocks. Acts chapter 7, verse 58. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, I know I said Jesus had ascended into heaven, but he did on a couple of occasions make some surprise, I'm back. He did make some appearances. And this same Saul that held the coats of the guys that stoned Stephen, okay, would also have an encounter face-to-face -face with Jesus on the road to Damascus. So the same Saul, because of that encounter with Jesus, would become a vigorous follower of Jesus Christ. And prior to that, he vigorously persecuted Christians. He was doing everything he could to stamp out Christianity. Like there's some theologians that believe he's holding the coats meant he was the presiding officer that oversaw what took place. And so because he saw Jesus face to face, because he had that moment, now he vigorously is a follower of Jesus. Paul would travel most of Southern Europe. He would travel a lot of Asia Minor, telling people about Jesus, starting churches, preaching the gospel. Matter of fact, there are theologians who think Matthias was not supposed to be picked to be the 12th person to replace Judas. There are many who think they should have waited and let Paul be that 12th apostle. But what they were looking for in Acts chapter 1 was someone that had been with Jesus the whole time, since Jesus had been baptized by John, and there were only a couple of people that fit that bill. Now the qualifications, as things emerge and things change, the qualifications to be an apostle change, to serve in, in church leadership and to kind of oversee the church. And actually, some of this would come into play when they would, would qualify text to be considered into Scripture. 
The word apostle means sent one. So they, they, they first were disciples. They were learning from Jesus. They were students of Jesus. Then Jesus said, hey, go. I send you out. So now they went from being students of Jesus to being sent on the behalf of Jesus. They were apostles. We take that as a name for authority, but really it means somebody that's going and carrying the mission and the message. Probably the, in our today context, the closest thing to an apostle would be a missionary, someone who is sent with the commission of sharing the gospel. The qualifications to be a church apostle eventually became this, okay? Eventually, you had to be an eyewitness of Jesus after his resurrection. In chapter 1, they were looking for somebody that had been with Jesus all the way since he was baptized, but now this shifted to someone that had at least had an eyewitness experience with Jesus after he was resurrected. Well, Paul had that on his way to Damascus. Then they had to be chosen by the Holy Spirit. Like it had to be clear that God was leading, that this is the person that I want. This is the person that God had chosen. This happened to Paul in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. It was pretty clear, revealed by the Holy Spirit that Paul was that guy. Then number three, they had to have ministered with signs and wonders and miracles. Like God used them to do supernatural things. 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul writing says, I preserve demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. Like God used Paul to do the miraculous. So those became the three qualifications for an apostle. Paul would travel. He would see hundreds of people get saved. He would start lots of churches. He would have miracles. He would do amazing ministry. He would write letters that eventually becomes the majority of the New Testament in the Bible. But Paul always had an issue. And I don't think this was Paul's thorn, but Paul always had an issue. There were people who could not get past Paul's past. There were people who just really never could accept him because of what he had done before he encountered Jesus. And there were people who could just never accept Paul because he wasn't one of the 12. Paul spends a lot of his writings, predominantly in 2 Corinthians and the book of Galatians, defending his authority. Like even if you open up your Bible and there will be passages where the title that the, the Bible writers put on top of it says, defending, Paul defends his authority. Defending the fact that he's an apostle, not in a church office, but he's sent by God to go out and reach people and teach and preach the message of Christ. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. I use the, what's called the, the CEB or the Common English Bible Translation because I think it captures best Paul's frustration and God the Father who was raised from the dead. Y'all are all caught up in who sent me, by whose authority am I doing ministry. Let me tell you who called me. Let me tell you who sent me. It wasn't a church. It wasn't 12 guys all locked up in a room in, in, in Jerusalem. It was Jesus. That's the one I experienced on the road to Damascus. That's the one who saved me. That's the one who called me, and that's the one who sent me. After 14 years of Paul doing ministry, of planting, preaching, traveling, Paul finds... 14 years, he finally shows up in Jerusalem and appears to those 12. Peter, James, John, a lot of the other disciples, okay? And he has a conversation with them about what he's been out doing for the last 14 years. So Galatians chapter 2, let me read to you. And the leaders of the church, that would be those 12 disciples, now apostles, they had nothing to add what I was preaching. 
By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God doesn't play favorites. Like, the ground is level at the cross. Can we all say amen to that? Instead, they saw that God has given me a responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. There's two groups of people in the Bible. There are Jews, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the nation of Israel, and then there's everybody else. There's Gentiles. If you are not of Jewish descent, you are a Gentile. My family are a bunch of old, blockheaded, stubborn Germans. Ah, all right? We're Gentiles. And God had given Paul the responsibility of preaching the gospel to everyone but the Jews, just as he's given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews, also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, right? They recognized the gift that God had given me. They accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Paul said, yeah, I met with them. It didn't matter to me that they were a big deal. I met with them, but I wasn't called by them. I was called by Jesus. But for my critics that care, let me just tell you this. Even Peter, James, and John said, go get them, Paul. That a boy, you keep preaching Jesus and him crucified. On top of all that, there were Jews who had become Christians. And, and I can understand their confusion because Jesus came to the Jews. And there would be non-Jewish people that would come to Jesus and he would say something about the scraps of a dog off the table and all that stuff. But there were Jews who had become Christians that believed the path to salvation was you better become a Jew first. You need to follow Jewish law first and then you can become a Christian. The term, the label they were given was Judaizers. And Paul pushes and fights on this a lot. And, and the people who said you have to be Jews first, then you can be Christians. We're talking about you need to be circumcised. You, you can eat certain things, can't eat certain things. And they became Paul's biggest critics and opponents of Paul. So now he's got the Jews who want him dead because he's turned traitor on them. He's turned into a Christian. He's got fellow Christians who don't really accept him because he wasn't one of the 12. And then he's got the Judaizers that are saying, listen, Paul's just a con artist. He's just traveling around coming here because all he wants is your money. You weren't with Jesus like Peter was. You weren't with Jesus like John was. You weren't one of, and he'll actually use this term, super apostles. And Paul was constantly compared to those other leaders. Say, okay, you're like in Psalm, you read all the hard stuff, you know, my enemies want me dead, my friends are, blah, you know, and then the word Selah means I'm done with all the hard stuff. All right, I got you through the history lesson. Punch your neighbor, make sure they're awake so we can jump in and get to hopefully what applies to us today, right? That's the backstory. That Paul had all of this pressure. Paul had all of this comparison going on in his life. And that's what I want to cancel today. I want to cancel constant comparison. Rather, this was something that Paul personally struggled with. Maybe he wrestled with his past because he persecuted Christians and maybe was responsible for their death. 
And maybe he wrestled with just constantly comparing to the big 12, the super apostles, or it was his critics that said, Paul, you're not good enough. And maybe it was his critics that were just loud in his ears. Throughout his writings, Paul is constantly being compared to other leaders. The reason we know that is because he's constantly addressing them. And I don't know about you, but I constantly compare myself to them. I constantly compare myself to other dads. I constantly compare myself to other pastors. I constantly compare myself to other husbands and business owners. It's obviously not just a new era thing. It's obviously not just a 2021 thing. It even happened in Paul's day. It even happened in ancient times as well. I also think it's one of the things that the rise of social media has certainly escalated in our culture. And I don't think we were prepared for that. I do think we'll figure it out. I mean, history always has a way of correcting itself. But I think we need to be very self-aware that our kids are the first generation to be raised in a social media era. Okay? I, I kid you not. I have a friend from high school. We're friends on Facebook. And the only time, the only time he ever posts on social media is when he's on vacation. And it feels like he is always on vacation, right? I know it's not real. But it's pretty easy to kind of let your mind just go there. Like, good Lord, this dude lives on vacation. And here I am just spinning my wheels away, just trying to make life happen, right? And, and then, then, there's, then there's these couples. Obviously, none of you, right? But there's these couples that they get all prettied up and gussied up and dressed up, and they go out on a date like on Friday night. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes I'm in a short and T-shirt and I'm asleep by 9.15, falling asleep watching some Netflix show, right? Like, I just like, oh, their life's so, I'm out, okay? And so the constant comparison game creates a couple of false messages in our mind. Like, one of those messages is, I'm just not enough. I'm not good enough like he is. I'm not enough like she is. I'm, I'm just not enough to keep up with today. So I'm, I'm a failure. One of the other messages is clearly that, God loves them or God blesses them more than he blesses me. This dude gets to go on vacation all the time, and I'm here just in the grind. One of the other messages that, that the constant comparison game will tell us is that my life just stinks. They get to have all the fun, and my life just stinks. And I think one of the fourth messages that the constant comparison game always beats us with is like, it's just always going to be this way, robbing our hope of future joy. I'm sure there's other messages that it may create for you, but that's what I experience. That's the voices that I struggle with and I deal with. And I don't dare want to try to think for the Apostle Paul. I don't want to try to put myself in his shoes. But I think he wrestled with some of this constant comparison as well because it comes out in his writing. So what did Paul do? How did Paul deal with the constant comparison game, whether he was doing it or whether his critics were doing it? And so I, I just want to learn from his example. I just want to look at the things that Paul said, some of his writings in different places, so we can cancel the comparison gains out of our lives. Are you guys ready for that? Okay, Galatians 1.1. I've already read this, but this is so important. This is from Paul, a sent one who's not sent from human authority or commissioned by any human agency. There's not 12 guys in a room in Jerusalem that said, Paul, go get him. But I'm sent through Jesus Christ, and I'm sent through God the Father who raised him from the dead. I think Paul heavily relied on what he expressed right here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. If I'm going to 
overcome the constant comparison game, I need to rely on my revelation. I need to rely on my revelation. For 14 years, he did ministry without Peter, James, and John and their blessing. He may have had their approval. He may not have had their approval. But he was just doing what God called him to go and do, and that was preach the gospel to the people who weren't Jewish. Now, let me be clear on this. Rely on my revelation, okay? There's a difference in in just standing firm in what God's called me to do, and there's a difference in that between going rogue. Because rogue can turn into rebellion really, really easy, and rebellion never ends well. This is a Paul who had a commission and a direct revelation from God. He was doing what he was supposed to do. Let me give you a little secret. There are going to be people who do not like your revelation that you have. There are going to be people around you in your life that are not going to like God's calling in your life. There are going to be people who don't want to put the same amount of work in that you do. They don't want to put the same amount of effort in that you do. And then when you start to find success, those same people are going to criticize you. And they're going to criticize how you achieve. Personally. Going, just grabbing the brand. I personally know that OU is not better. They have just sold their soul to the devil. I'm kidding. But listen, critics will say that about you. Critics will they'll say crazy stuff like that. You're only successful because you cheated. You're only sex- successful because you're not taking care of your family. You're only successful because, because you had privilege and I had disadvantage. Listen, this is not permission to go rogue. Because rogue turns into rebellion. This is not permission to ignore those loving voices of authority in your life to help be brakes and guardrails. But you got to understand, there's going to be people that don't like your success. There's going to be people who don't like your revelation. And you've got to learn to rely on the revelation that God called you, God gave you for your life. That's a good place to say amen. This is a deep reliance on who God says you are and what he's called you to be. And you'll hear people say it like this. Man, I just have to know my identity in Christ. I got to know who I am in Jesus, who God created me to be. What purpose does God have for my life? What's the vision for my life? What's the calling that God set before me? Years ago, I was just, I was a young pastor. It's about 14 years ago. I'm still a young pastor. Let me clarify that, right? No, But I used to listen to a guy from South Carolina, and I loved his boldness. I mean, even 15 years ago, man, he he would just be bold, and I loved his leadership. And man, if he taught some of the leadership, but he kind of had this verbal clutch that had a South Carolina accent to it, and so he would say, om, like om, okay? And all of a sudden, because I listened to him two and three times a week, I started to talk like I was from South Carolina, you know? I began to say om. Well, I'm not from South Carolina. I'm a redneck from Oklahoma. I don't say um, I say um. You know what I'm saying? I was trying to be someone else. I was trying to mimic him. I was trying to be as bold as he was, but I didn't have the years of experience. I had one. I was trying to preach like he preached. I was trying to talk like he talked. And in doing that, somewhere in that, I lost my identity. You can lose your revelation that God has for you 
And that's why this is a part of the vision of our church. We want people to discover your God-given purpose that he has for you. Next month, we'll have growth track. That just starts the conversation of how you can discover what's God's given purpose for your life. See, when we don't know our purpose, we start to get frustrated. We not only get frustrated with our life, we start to get frustrated with the church because all these people at church and they're happy and they're living and they're fulfilling their purpose and then you're here and you feel purposeless. Or we try to live out someone else's purpose. And here's what'll happen. They'll find success. I'm trying to mimic them and I don't have the same success that they have. So then I start to think that I'm not enough. God loves them more. My life stinks and it's always gonna be this way. So you've gotta rely on my revelation. I've got to rely on the calling that God has for my life. Paul knew. Paul knew he wasn't called to Jerusalem. There was 12 of them, only one of him. Like, you guys got Jerusalem? That's cool. I'll get the rest of the world. Thank you very much, right? Paul knew he was called to travel. Paul knew he was called to reach people who were not Jews. So number one, I got to rely on my revelation. Number two, I got to run my race. I got to run my race. God has given me, God has given you, God has given your life, your breath, your situation for you to live in. And if I'm constantly trying to run someone else's race, I'm going to miss the race that God has for me. But I'm not built to run their race. I'm built to run my race. And so if I'm trying to run somebody else's race, I'm just going to be frustrated because it might be too hard because they're a couple of steps ahead of me or I'm not going to achieve my fullest. Because it'd be like Michael Jordan trying to take me in one-on-one basketball. That ain't even no game. You know what I'm saying? Like some of you were created to play in the bigs, but you're still down here in Little League. And so if you're constantly comparing yourself to someone that's below you, you're going to get a false sense of where you are. I'm going to be frustrated because I can't keep up with somebody else that's two or three steps ahead of me. Or I'm never going to accomplish all that God has for me because I'm taking a lazy way out by comparing myself to somebody that's a fifth grader. There's a danger in trying to compare to someone that's too far ahead of you or someone that's not where you're at. So I want you to catch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I told you we're going to be like Johnny Cash. I've been everywhere, man. Okay. The Corinthians, they were a little bit of Paul's problem child church. And they would listen to his critics. And Paul would get wind of this. Like in the Corinthian church would get a little bit bold. And, and you know, there were always traveling preachers that would come around. There were always different guys that would come around and, and they would teach a false gospel or they would, they would manipulate or there were con artists that would come in the name of Jesus. That's not new today. That, that happened back then too. And so the church of Corinth would listen to some of his critics and so Paul responds to that. And he says, verse 12, oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. Now, he's not talking about the 12. He's not talking about Peter, James, and John. He's talking about these other self-appointed apostles that would travel and go preach. A lot of times they would go where Paul had been and they would go in and, and, and they, would, they would try to win those people to their favor, okay? So don't worry. We, we wouldn't try to tell you we're as wonderful as those guys. But they're only comparing themselves with each other using themselves as the standard of measure. How ignorant. We will not boast about the things done outside our area of authority. We will boast only about what has happened, catch this, within the boundaries of the work that God has given us. 
Which, by the way, that includes our working with you. Paul's saying, I'm not going to get caught up in their game. I'm not going to compare myself with other guys. I'm not going to focus on anything but the race, the lane that God has set before me. I have to stay in my lane. Paul says, I have to work in my boundaries that God has given me. If I get out of my boundaries, I'm going to get frustrated. If I get out of my boundaries, I'm going to miss my potential. So I got to rely on my revelation that God has given me for who I am in my life. Number two, I got to run my race that He's called me to. I got to stay in my boundaries. And then number three, maybe the hardest of all, I need to rejoice in what I have. Paul had to get that revelation. Paul had to stay in his lane, had to run his race. But he also had to learn to be content with where God had him. And that's the hardest. And honestly, this point is what amplifies. The comparison game. It would be really, really easy for Paul to say, well, look at Peter. He gets to sleep in his own bed at night in Jerusalem, yada, yada. Look at John. Jesus said he's going to get to live longer than any of the other apostles. And here I am. I'm out traveling. I've been shipwrecked. I've been left for dead. I've been bitten by a snake. I've been adrift at sea. Peter didn't have to do any of that. And Paul was learning to rejoice in what he had in his doing that. And Paul, learning how to rejoice in what he had, became the inspiration behind one of his most inspiring Bible verses. This was a hard lesson for him to learn, but I'm so glad he learned it because we have made thousands of posters out of this one verse, right? Philippians 4.11, some of you could quote it right back to me. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. If Paul had never experienced lack, he would have never learned that revelation. If Paul had never been through a hard time, he would have never learned that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul's looking around what other people had, the opportunities they had, and he didn't, the things they had, and he had sacrificed. That is the very thing that God used to deepen his faith, where he could come to a place of total reliance on God. If I'm hungry, it's okay. If I'm full, it's okay. Yeah. If I'm broke, I'm okay. If I have plenty, I'm still okay. I have learned that I can do all things through Christ Jesus, He who gives me. We got to learn to be grateful for where God has. Be grateful for what I have. Be grateful for what you have. Here's the deal. I've learned that you're looking and you're comparing with other people and what they have. Oh man, I wish I had the, and you can fill in the blank, the job, the business, the body type, kid, whatever, you can fill in that blank with anything. Oh man, I wish I had that they have. This is what I've come to learn. Those same people that you're looking at their life and you're wishing you had their life, they are looking back at your life. And they would gladly trade you the very thing you wish you had for something in your life that you're taking for granted. That's that's a lot, you know what I'm saying? That's a, the, 
kind of said that wonky, but, but I'm convinced we're looking at people and what they have and like, oh man, I wish that had. And that same person is looking back at your life going, man, I wish I had your. And the very thing that they want, I've taken it for granted. So stop, take time, rejoice in where God has you. Don't miss your moment because you're comparing your life with someone else. In your struggle, in your lack, the very thing you're wanting, the very thing you're comparing could be the very reason that God's trying to give you your greatest revelation. And here's this verse that wrapped it all up for me. And I gotta tell you, I've been reading through 2 Corinthians, which is why I landed on, let's cancel comparison. And this verse kind of jacked me up. I've been here, I've, like every day this week, I've gone back to 2 Corinthians 5. And while Paul has answered his critics, he's also staying focused on his calling. And then he drops this. Are we commending ourselves to you again? Like, does this sound like I'm bragging? Because that's not what this is intended to be. Matter of fact, I'm just trying to give you a reason to be proud of what we're doing. You guys have been a part of that. You've helped. So you can answer those who brag about themselves and these other guys that come through and they brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. Do you ever read your Bible and words just like glow off the page? And I was reading that and it just like, and I tried to go to the next verse and I just couldn't, I had to back up. I just had to back up. So you can answer those who brag about having spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. Paul's saying, I can humbly rejoice in what God has blessed me with. And, and I can brag on God. And I can brag on what God's called me to do without being arrogant. And then I just see this comparison. Spectacular ministry versus sincere heart. We can compare resumes all day long. You can compare lives, you can compare Instagrams, you can compare resumes all day long. But what God is looking for is a sincere heart. And if we live stuck in the comparison game, it chips away at our sincerity. The comparison game, all of a sudden you'll start to look competitive. And all of a sudden you'll start to look boastful. All of a sudden, you'll start wanting to look spectacular, but God's looking for sincerity. For me, for my house, for Hill Spring, I want you to be proud because we do a lot of good, and I'm proud of what we do. But I would also rather be known for being a church that has a sincere Love God genuinely. Love. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.